Good morning. So have you guys ever had a bad day at work? Just like a day where everything seems to be going wrong, the coffee's like, they made decaf that morning or something, instead of the full strength stuff that you needed to get you through your day. Maybe your boss yelled at you for something that you didn't do. Maybe every customer that you interacted was just being extra difficult or something like that. Um, maybe if you're younger and you're in school, maybe your teacher got mad at you for something that you didn't do and you thought that that was unfair. But we've all had bad days at work, right? Uh, when, I wor- when I worked at a music store in Abilene, um, I had my share of bad days too. Uh, customers can be the worst. Let's just say that. Uh, can I get an amen from all the people who work retail? So I worked at this music store. We sold musical instruments, all the accessories, all that fun stuff. Um, and let me just tell you that the customer is always right, except for the 50% of the time when the customer is wrong. Um, so we, me and my coworkers, we ended up starting a document on one of the computers that we called Shining Moments, where we just wrote down all the ridiculous things that customers would say or do while they were in our store. Um, so this would interject some humor into the usual humorlessness of retail work. Um, so we began to take things a little less hard because we were able to see them with a little bit of levity. For example, one time, again, this is a music store where we sell musical instruments and all that kind of stuff. I was working the register. It was the end of a pretty long day, and this customer comes up to check out. And he says, do y'all have a musician's discount? At a music store. So let's pause and think about the absurdity of that statement. That's like going into a McDonald's and saying, do y'all have a discount for people who need to eat to survive? Like, it's just, everyone who walks in there, like, has something to do with music. And that's what I told him. Like, again, the end of a very long day, so I didn't laugh at him. I was very polite. But I said, sir, everyone who walks in here is a musician. And that comment went into our shining moments. Uh, because it was just one of the ridiculous things. Um, another time, a customer, he bought a guitar, and he did some modifications on it, and then he decided he wanted to return the guitar, and my manager said he couldn't because he had already made some modifications on the guitar. He got so enraged that he threw the guitar at my manager. That, too, went into shining moments, because it's just ridiculous things that people do. So we've all had those bad days at work, at our vocations. We've all been there. And we get caught on that endless treadmill of Monday through Friday, where like Mondays are the worst, and it gets a little bit better through the week. And then we try to recover on the weekend, and then we go back on Monday, and it starts all over again. And in our text today, we see Simon Peter just coming off of a very bad day at work. But when Jesus gets involved in his vocation, it changes everything. So let's back up just a little bit and talk about Simon Peter's origin story. Every superhero has an origin story, right? We've got Spider-Man getting bit, and then he does all that stuff. Batman, he loses his parents, and then he becomes the Batman and goes pretty crazy on the criminals of Gotham City. Simon Peter also has an origin story, just like our favorite superheroes. So this encounter by the lake is not the first time we've actually seen Simon 
in the Gospel of Luke. If we turn back a chapter, in chapter 4, we actually meet Simon for the first time. We read that Jesus left the synagogue and went to Simon's house. Why Jesus chose to go to Simon's house, we don't know. Um, Again, this is the first time we've seen Simon in the Gospel of Luke. But Jesus goes to Simon's house, and we know this, that Simon's mother-in-law was sick with a high fever, and Jesus healed her so that she was able to play the host again. So this brief snapshot of a story of the origin of Simon Peter in the Gospel of Luke tells us a few things about him. One, Simon's married. He's got a wife. If you have a mother-in-law, that means you have a wife somewhere. So Simon's a married guy. Two, he's eaten a meal with Jesus at his mother-in-law's house. This shows that he has some familiarity with who Jesus is. And third, he has seen a miracle performed by Jesus in the healing of his mother-in-law. But despite seeing this miracle, despite this fantastic encounter with Jesus, Simon remains unchanged. He's the same old Simon that he has always been. He still does what he has always done, which is go fishing. That's what he does for his job. He's seen the power of God personally in his life, but it has had little to no impact on the way he lives his life. I'm sure you're thinking that you know people like this, people who have been involved in the church and have seen what God has done, but they still remain unchanged. They still live their same old life despite God's clear display of power. They still make the same bad decisions over and over again despite having been part of a body like this where they've seen God work. This story has some hope for people like that. That's some hope for people like us who get on that work treadmill week after week. Nothing changes. So when we get to chapter 5, we see Jesus is on a beach and he's being crowded by a bunch of people. They're just pressing in on him. So I'm glad you guys have some restraint and you're holding yourselves back and you're not trying to crowd me up here. Like, please remain seated. I know this is exciting. But, but please, hold your enthusiasm back a little bit. So he is, people are crowding around Jesus, and he's teaching them. And we see Simon, but he's not among the crowd. He is sitting on the shore, mending his fishing nets. He is near, but he is not close. He is within hearing distance, but it is clear that he doesn't want to take that a step further and join the crowd around Jesus. He is near Jesus. He is next to Jesus, but he is not close in relationship with Jesus. So Luke tells us that the crowd was there to hear Jesus proclaim the word of God to them. From the previous chapter, we are told that the word that he was speaking was the good news of the kingdom of God. God's kingdom is here. Darkness is being driven out. And Simon has seen this firsthand. He saw this in the miracle where Jesus cast out the fever from his mother-in-law. According to Mark, Jesus' message was this, the time is right and the kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe in the good news. Simon had seen and heard the good news, but he had not taken that next step of repenting and believing. So in the midst of Jesus' teaching, as he's being crowded by these people, he kind of has enough and wants to get away a little bit 
So he sees Simon and asks to be taken a little way away from the shore. The crowd is pressing in a little too close for comfort. But Jesus is also wanting Simon Peter to come a little bit closer to the action. He's close, but he's not near. Jesus wants to bring him near. Simon agrees to this small request, perhaps even thinking that he owed Jesus one for healing his mother-in-law. So he takes Jesus just a little way out so Jesus can speak from a boat and avoid the crowd pressing in on him. So when Jesus finished speaking, he then issued a command to Simon, take us to deeper water and lower your nets. While he had asked to be taken out in the boat, this is now a command. He's taking it another step further. Now, if you're Simon in this situation, this command probably seems a bit ridiculous. He usually fished at nighttime when the fish couldn't see the nets that he was using to catch them. Furthermore, he had just spent the whole night fishing and had caught nothing. So the fish just weren't here. They weren't biting. They weren't around this part of the lake. So not only is it the wrong time for fishing, but it's already been proven that the fish aren't here. And this is a crossroads for Simon. He can either reject the command telling Jesus that it's silly and that it doesn't make any sense and that Jesus knows nothing about fishing because Jesus was a carpenter, right? What does he know about fishing? Or he can trust and obey Jesus in this moment. We've already said that Simon has experienced God's work in his life. But to this point, that hasn't changed a thing for him. He wants the benefits of being around Jesus, but he doesn't want to commit all in to follow Jesus. He has stuck to being a fisherman, and he keeps that as his primary identity. That's what he's done. That's what he's doing. That's what he's always going to do. But in this moment, at this command from Jesus, we see that something has changed in his vocation of fisherman. Since encountering Jesus but remaining unchanged, he was, he was unsuccessful in his fishing, and his vocation had no fruit. And when we experience God's power in our lives, but we make no change, we are like fishermen on the shore with empty nets. There is something missing in our vocations. We cannot carry on like we have always done if we have encountered the living God. Something has got to change in us. So at this point, Simon does indeed recognize that there is something special about Jesus. He has seen the miracle after all. He calls Jesus master teacher, which can also mean commander. He doesn't go all the way and pledge everything or even allegiance or anything like that. But he does acknowledge that there's something special about Jesus, that he has some sort of authority. And because of this, he chooses to obey. In calling Jesus commander, he has given up control of his boat. He has chosen to let Jesus be the captain. All logic says to ignore Jesus' command to go fishing, but Simon instead chooses to let Jesus call the shots. When we step out of the way and let Jesus be the captain of our vocations, we let him provide the vision. Simon chose to let Jesus provide the vision for this little fishing trip. Jesus' vision was greater than Simon's vision for fishing. Jesus wanted Simon to have nets bursting 
from the catch. And he provided the success because of Simon's simple obedience. If Simon had chosen to disobey this command, we can bet that we'd have, he would have had many more fruitless nights of fishing ahead of him. He would have worked hard and grown old, and ultimately would have had no satisfaction from his work. But instead, he chose to obey Jesus' simple yet illogical command. When we first met Simon, he was holding on to the way things had always been. He was refusing to change despite what Jesus had done in his life. But then, on seeing the miraculous catch of fish, he now calls Jesus Lord. And that is a big deal. It is a huge change of mind for Simon. He had previously called Jesus Master, Teacher, Commander, and now he levels up that description. In the first century Roman world where all this is taking place, there were many masters and many teachers, many commanders, but there was only one Lord. Lord was the title reserved for the highest level of power in the land, which means that only Caesar was Lord. In addition, Lord also refers to the name of Israel's God, which is Yahweh, which is depicted as Lord in our Bibles, so that we can avoid breaking the commandment of taking the Lord's name in vain. Simon Peter has elevated his thinking of who Jesus is. He puts him on level with Caesar, the highest political authority of the land. He puts him on the same level as God, Yahweh. He has leveled up his thinking of who Jesus is. And in addition to this, he has also humbled himself. He tells Jesus to get away, for he is sinful. And this right here is Simon's conversion point. He has changed his mind and recognized the absolute holiness of Jesus and his sinfulness in relation to that holiness. He has exalted God, and he has humbled himself. And Jesus tells Simon Peter to not be afraid. Despite Simon Peter recognizing this distance that exists between him and Jesus, Jesus' holiness and his own sinfulness, Jesus has chosen to come close to Simon. Jesus has bridged the divide so that he could have a relationship with Simon. Jesus tells Simon Peter that from now on, things are going to be different. I don't know if you guys have seen the, the movie The Greatest Showman, um, but towards the end of that, they sing a song called From Now On, where the main character, P.T. Barnum, the circus king, is humbled at what has happened to him and has his own little conversion moment. And he sings From Now On about all the things that are going to change in his life. And he declares how things will be different. But in this case, Simon Peter, he's not the one making the vows of what will change. Jesus declares what will change for him. So from now on, instead of fish, Simon Peter will catch people. Now the word here used for catching really means to catch something alive. In fishing, the catching of the fish ultimately results in the death of the fish, right? But in this instance, Simon's new vocation is to catch people, and he is to do it to bring life to the people being caught. He and James and John are to catch people alive so that they might have a new relationship in Jesus. They are to catch people so they can have their own conversion, 
their own change of mind about who Jesus is and who they are in relation to Jesus. Their catching will bring new vocation to these people like Jesus brought for them. And at this point, Simon and James and John, they leave everything on the beach to follow Jesus. Following Jesus cannot be a half-hearted thing. It's all or nothing. You can't simply be like Simon was on the beach, near enough to see, but not close enough to be changed. Simon and James and John gave up their vocations, their homes, their comforts, their social standing to follow Jesus. And when they chose to follow Jesus, he required everything from them. And when we choose to follow Jesus, he requires everything from us. There was a German pastor who wrote about this, about the cost of this kind of following Jesus. He wrote, Costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again and again, the gift which must be asked for, the door at which a man must knock. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow, and is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life, and it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin, and grace because it justifies the sinner. And above all, it is costly because it costs God the life of his son. Ye were bought at a price, and what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered him up for us. Costly grace is the incarnation of God. These are the words of the pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He wrote these words in his book, The Cost of Discipleship. Um, and he eventually would put these words into practice. He followed Jesus even though it ultimately cost him his life at the hands of the Nazis during World War II. That is what it means to be all in and to follow Jesus with everything that we have. This is what new life in Jesus looks like. Jesus calls us to repentance, to obedience, and to this life of following him. The life of the disciple is never promised to be an easy one. We are called to be all in or all out. Are you all in or are you just on the beach near Jesus, but not close enough to experience a radical life change? It is easy to be Jesus-adjacent. By sitting in the pew today, you are near. But are you close enough to Jesus to experience the life change that he gives? Are you clutching the nets of your old life like Simon was? What are you holding on to that you need to surrender to truly follow Jesus? We all need to give up the idols that we worship and the sins that bind us, and let Jesus be the captain of our lives. We need to repent, and we need to change our minds about who God is and who we are. And if you are all in, if you have left everything to follow Jesus, then you need to be catching people for a life of following Jesus. And we need to catch people wherever we are. Give Jesus the command of your vocation. Let him be the captain of your job. Let him be the captain of your school life. Use your vocation to catch people. Don't view your job 
as just a source of income or maybe a source of personal satisfaction. View your vocation as your favorite fishing spot. And in everything, we need to seek to capture people, to give them the true life that can only be found in Jesus. He gives our lives and our vacation, or our vocations new vision and new meaning, if we would only let him. Jesus is commanding you to take a next step today. Listen, obey, and see what miracles Jesus will do in your life. Amen.